Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Genesis chapter 33. Uh, Jeremy got us back into our, our Genesis study next week, and we're going to continue on this morning. We're going to look at the reunion between Jacob and his, uh, his brother Esau. They've been estranged for about 20 years, uh, but God has been working miraculously in Jacob's life, and it's now time for him to, uh, to confront the family issues, so to speak, and to, to, uh, to uh, be able to exercise some of the grace that, that God has given him. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning. One of the interesting things that happens in my life on a fairly regular basis, being a pastor who is back in his hometown, if you don't, don't know my, much of my story, I was born and raised in Kirkwood. I'm actually a third-generation Kirkwood resident in our, uh, in our family. And so I went to, to, to grade school and, and high school here in, in Kirkwood. And every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who I knew back in high school. And, you know, pretty soon in the conversation, you get to, what do you do for a living? And eventually, you know, it comes out that I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. And I get all kinds of, of reactions to that statement. Sometimes I'll get the, well, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, you kind of were kind of about the God thing when you were younger. I remember that slightly. Anything from that to you're kidding me. <laughs> you're a, uh, I'm sorry, I, I must have I misheard you. You're a what? So I kind of, uh, the whole gamut there, which, which begs the question, does God's grace really change your life? Are you a different person because God's grace has impacted your heart and your life. Obviously, when I was a teenage student, I, I, I knew about Christianity. I, I was a, a disciple of Jesus, but I was an extraordinarily immature disciple of Jesus, as is prone to be the case for a lot of us. We're in our teen years. We're struggling with a lot of different issues, and we're trying to figure out how to grow up, and our parents are trying to figure out how to raise us. And, and it's a time of, you know, it's a bumpy, you know, part of the ride. It, it can be. Uh, so that, that shouldn't be surprising. But as we grow in faith, for those of you this morning that are here that claim to be a disciple of Jesus, how has the grace of God impacted your life so that there's actually some practical impact in your relationship with God? Jacob's conversion experience, as Jeremy said last week, and I absolutely agree with him, I think he's 100% accurate in his, in his statement last week. If you were here, you heard him say that his wrestling match with God, he, Jeremy entitled his sermon, Assaulted by Grace. Uh, and I believe he's correct when he says that was Jacob's conversion experience. Up until that time, I think Jacob knew about God. But I think his wrestling match with God, the night before we're going to pick up uh, this particular part of the story, I believe is where Jacob really comes to faith. He embraces the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac as his God. So I think it's fair to now ask the question, what's going to change in Jacob's life? Jacob has been a cheater. He's been a liar. He's been a thief. He's been a conniver. Is there, is there going to be some evidence that this grace really, it doesn't just save him, but it actually begins to make him a different person? Because that question is important in the life of Jacob. It's also important in my life and in your life. If you're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus, how is God's grace changing who you are in a positive way? Would the people around you who, who knew you years ago, maybe when you didn't know Christ, say to you today, you know what, you seem to be a different person. Is there a positive impact that comes because of God's grace? That's the question. Genesis chapter 33, the first 11 verses, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. And Jacob lifted up his eyes. And looked, and behold, Esau was coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until 
he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Now, let me stop there for just a second. If you remember, if you were here before Easter, way before Esau, uh, Jacob knew that Esau was coming with 400 men and thought he was in trouble. So he'd sent several gifts to Jacob, several, several hundred pieces of livestock as an offering, hopefully to appease this brother who he's, who he's cheated in, in the past life. So Esau is asking the question, not only who's the family, but what about all, the, all these gifts that you sent ahead? Where did they come from? So just to give you that, that context. And Jacob says to him, to find favor with you uh, in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hands. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray for a moment. Fathers, we have uh, worshiped you with our mouths and our our praise and our, our singing. Father, we have worshiped you in prayer as uh, we have prayed uh, not only for ourselves in this room, but also for the, the children in this congregation. Father, now we come to praise you with our, with our minds. We come to worship you with our intellect. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we need to hear your word this morning. We do need to grow as disciples. Your word does need to impact our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and speak to us. My words are of no great importance. Uh, the wisdom that I have is very little. It's, it's so finite compared to your eternal wisdom, your perfect understanding. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. We come from very busy schedules. Uh, we may be tempted to be thinking about what's coming up this next week, but Lord, I pray that, that for the next few moments, you would draw our attention to yourself, that you would so fill our minds with your good purposes and your truth that we would see nothing else but your glorious grace and mercy. Father, move me aside. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and teach your people gathered here. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, one of the things you need to know about, about being a disciple of Jesus, and a lot of you already know it, this is going to be repetition for, for uh, a lot of us, your circumstances don't change immediately when you come to faith. Uh, if you put your faith in Jesus at an early age, or maybe at a high school camp, or maybe at a college ministry, maybe at an intervarsity deal, or a campus crusade deal, or, or in young life, or in a church youth group, you, uh, you maybe thought, boy, now all my problems are going to go away. Boy, everything now is going to be great. Uh, maybe Jacob had that thought, uh, 
go through his mind as he uh, wrestled with God and then ultimately received the blessing, although he's now uh, got a bad hip and he's going to walk with a limp the rest of his life. But maybe he's thinking, now all of my problems are going to go away. Well, if, it, if that was rolling through his mind, uh, or if that was, is rolling through your mind this morning, or if you're considering becoming a disciple of Jesus in the hopes that all of your problems will go away, uh, let me dash those hopes immediately. Let me uh, bring you back uh, to reality. Look at verse 1 of chapter 33. Jacob lifted up his eyes. I, you know, I have a sick sense of humor. I always get the idea of Jacob taking his eyeballs out and kind of looking around. It just means he, he looked, okay? I, I'm still kind of in middle school with my sense of humor. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Nothing in Jacob's life has changed. He's still in a pickle, so to speak. His brother, whom he, when he last saw his brother, he had cheated him. Uh, he had lied to him. He had, he had dressed up like his brother in order to get the blessing uh, from his father who was about three-quarters of the way blind and three-quarters of the way deaf and, and was an old, old man. Uh, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob was a scoundrel. And the last time he saw his brother, uh, he knew that his brother wanted to kill him. And now he's returning home some 20 years later, and, and Esau's coming out to meet him with 400 men. You don't go out to meet somebody with 400 men unless maybe you mean uh, to do some violence. And so as Jacob the night before has come uh, to this understanding that God is his God and that God is a God of grace and that Jacob, as Jeremy said last week, was assaulted by God's grace, uh, his circumstances haven't changed. It doesn't look like things are going to get any better. So will this grace make a difference in Jacob and the way he addresses the same issues that are in his life that have always been there? You see, the important thing isn't that my circumstances change. The important thing isn't that your circumstances change. The big challenge of our lives is, is our heart changing as it's been impacted by God's grace so that we trust him more and we follow him more faithfully. I believe that Jacob's change begins to take place immediately. I'm going to show you three changes in Jacob's life this morning that come out in this passage because I think then we can ask the question, do we see similar changes like that taking place in our life? The practical ramification of of Jacob meeting God is not that the 400 guys aren't still coming, but that Jacob's heart changes. And the first way Jacob's heart changes is Jacob begins to have within his heart a spiritual bravery. Uh, look at, at the first few verses here. Jacob looks and sees the 400 guys coming. He divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah and her children, then Rachel and Joseph, last of all. Then verse 3, first part of verse 3, he himself went on before them. Jacob puts himself out in front. He puts himself in harm's way, so to speak. Uh, if we go to the, the next screen, there should be an underline of that, or there it is. He went on himself before them. That's the part of this sentence I want you to see. Jacob, the old Jacob would have been running for his life. <laughs> the old Jacob was all about Jacob and, and his own well-being. Jacob was a very self-centered guy, and if there was trouble, he found a way to get himself out of trouble. Or he found a way to, to get himself uh, in a place where he wouldn't be impacted by the negative things going on around him. But now we see an immediate change of heart where he's out in front. Now, one guy isn't going to stop 400 men. They may all end up being slaughtered, but Jacob says, if that happens, I'm going first. And all of a sudden, there's a bravery. There's a confidence in the heart of Jacob that that wasn't there before. And there's a selfishness that, that seems to be dissipating from his life. 
Uh, I, I told some of you I got the opportunity to go and watch the Tuesday practice round uh, at the Masters at Augusta. And if you've been to Augusta before, you know they're at Washington uh, Street or Washington Boulevard, whatever it is. You get right off, you turn right, and you go straight to the, to the golf course. It's just down about a mile on your right-hand side. But because they had thousands and thousands of people coming to Augusta, they, they had the traffic go all the way around the city. And so you get in this long line. On the, at the highway, and then you get off the highway, and then you, then you go through, you know, these back roads until you finally come all the way around. Well, you know what? You get off the highway, and you get in line, and you wait your turn. And what does one guy do or two guys do? What do they do? They, they speed down the highway, and they cut in front of everybody as if their time was more important than yours. And that's when you start to have godly thoughts about those people, and you really pray for their redemption or, or pray otherwise. That's where I kind of want a missile launch on the front of my car. That shows you my sinful nature. But Jacob would have been the guy that cut to the front of the line. He would have said, it's all about me. I don't care about anybody else. But all of a sudden there's a change and there's a difference. Jacob puts himself not in the escape route, but the new Jacob says, I'll, I'll go first. And I think that that change, that the grace of God impacts our lives in a way that spiritual bravery, I think it simply means doing the right thing in a pinch. (laughs) When things are difficult and when things are challenging and you want to kind of save yourself or you want to honor God, but you don't necessarily see how those two things go together at the same time, do you step in and say, I'm going to honor God? It doesn't mean, you know, being a hero. It doesn't mean being a Superman with a red cape. It simply means that, that I'm going to trust God in this particular set of circumstances. And Jacob is now God's man. And Jacob looks, he says, you know, I created this mess. I'm the one that started all this with my lying and my cheating and my conniving. So I'm the one that has to face Esau first. Did you hear the psalm and the call to worship this morning as as the worship leaders uh, engaged in that passage? It talked about the God of Jacob. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And And I believe at that moment, the transition began to take hold in Jacob's life. And he understood that God was his refuge, that God was his strength. And therefore, he could trust him even as he faced his brother with what seemed to be an imminent attack. Is that spiritual bravery present in my life? Is it present in your life as disciples of Jesus? Again, we're not talking about being heroic and and saving the whole world, but are you trusting God? Am I trusting God and following him in the hard places of my life? that area of life where I seem to fail again and again and again, am I willing to step back in that situation and say, God, change my heart. Make me a different person. Maybe you're dealing with difficult family issues this morning. Maybe you're looking at health problems that you didn't know existed until maybe just this last week. Maybe you've been wanting to talk to a friend about Christ, but you just haven't been able to, to work up the nerve. God wants to create in our hearts through his gracious activity a sense of spiritual bravery. Not that we have all the answers, not that we understand everything, not that that we're the the hero, but that God provides and cares for us. Uh, Every week I get the Green Tree prayer list. I know a lot of you get it as well. If you'd like to be a person that prays for the stuff that's going on at Green Tree, the people at Green Tree, just email Doug Herman and ask to be included. He'll send it to you. I don't know, there are probably 30 or 40 of us that get it every week. And I'm amazed at the stuff on that list. I mean, we're not a gigantic congregation. We're not, you know, there are not thousands of people running around here. There are probably 600 people or so at Green Tree Community Church. The prayer list just is sometimes I look at that and it's so overwhelming. You know, you guys have some real difficult issues in your lives. These are not simple things. And, and there would be places where I would be tempted to, to kind of run and hide, so to speak. And I'd be like Jacob and trying to figure out how I, where's my escape hatch. And yet I see God working in the lives of people that are facing incredibly difficult circumstances. 
not with any fanfare, not with blowing a trumpet and pointing themselves, but simply saying, I'm going to stand for Christ right where I am and follow him. That's beginning to be born in Jacob's life. But not only is there a spiritual bravery that seems to be coming out, but there's also a newfound humility. So let's stay in verse 3 for just a minute. Jacob uh, himself goes on before them, so he, he puts himself in harm's way, the place to, where he has to trust God, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Now, again, think with me for just a second, if you've been in this study about the old Jacob. What would the old Jacob have done? I, I don't need to tell you that. You know, he would, he, would have, he would have run away or he would have cheated. He would have in some way made up a big story and lied all about what's happened and, and tried to, you know, kind of finagle his way out of it. But one thing he would not have done, he would have never admitted he was wrong. <laughs> Jacob never would have said, I have a problem here. I'm the one that's created this. I'm the one that's culpable for this situation. But notice how he approaches Esau. He doesn't come with excuses. He doesn't come with lies. He doesn't come in any, with any pretension. He comes bowing himself to the ground. You see, Jacob has begun to repent of his sin. Through his wrestling match with God the night before, he's been confronted with who he really is. The, 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 the one who came and wrestled with him asked him the question, what's your name? And Jacob at that moment began to experience repentance by telling the truth about his name. He didn't lie. He didn't make something up. He just said, I'm Jacob. I'm the cheat. I'm the liar. I'm the conniver. That's the beginning of repentance. It begins in acknowledging before God who I am. So when God comes and says to me, what's your name? It's not, my name's Tom. My name is, I'm, I'm the one who's angry. I'm the one who is lustful. I'm the one who's resentful. I'm the one who's bitter. And I own my sin for what it is. That's the first step in repentance. Friends, it begins with God. Repentance always begins with God. And Jacob's had that experience. But friends, repentance always then goes into my relationship with others. Repentance never stops just with me before the Lord saying, Okay, Lord, I, I know I've got this wrong. I know I messed it up. I trust in you to forgive me. I'm confessing to you. It always has to go someplace else because my sin always impacts somebody. My sin is never committed in a vacuum, even if I'm the only one that knows about it. Even if I can cover it up and hide it and you never hear about it, guess what? It still impacts you. It still impacts the people around me, even if they don't know exactly what it is. So repentance always must include others. And Jacob's beginning to get this idea, I'm right with God. Now I've got to get it right with Esau. And so he says, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I've Forgive me. He bows down seven times. Seven in Scripture is a metaphorical picture. It's a, it's a number that represents wholeness. It's a number that represents completion. It's a number that represents, represents perfection. And so Jacob, by, by bowing down seven times, is, is completely laying himself in front of his brother vulnerably. And he's now humbly relying on God's grace, eager to make amends with his brother. Does God's grace equal humility in my life? If you ask me, none of you have this morning, but if you had asked me, Tom, how do you identify somebody who's really spiritually mature? <laughs> what would you say is somebody who, who really is walking with Christ in a deep and abiding way? I would say look for the person who knows how to ask for and grant forgiveness in a genuine way, and you'll find somebody that's really following Jesus. Not somebody that says, oh, I'm sorry, and tries to brush off and excuse their sin. Not somebody that's, that's, that goes around and points out your sin, but ignores their own. But if you want to find somebody who I believe is really a true, deep, abiding disciple of Jesus, it's the person who's the first one to say, you know what, I've really messed up. 
It's a person who says, you know what? I'm the one, the chief one for whom Jesus had to die. And I need to ask forgiveness, not only from God, but also a person who asks forgiveness for others. If you want to know the biggest change that's taken place in our marriage, which is now going on 29 years, Cindy and I would both tell you, even though she would never stand up here and say it, the biggest change in our marriage has come when we learned not to say I'm sorry, but to say I've sinned against you, will you forgive me? That's like the hardest two sentences in the human language. Try to get that out of your mouth when you're in a heated argument with your spouse. If you're married, try that sometimes to step back and to look at your own sin and say, stop, I'm wrong, I have sinned, will you forgive me? I promise you, if you've never done that, it, it will be, uh, uh, you will struggle to get that out of your mouth because our pride is so deeply embedded in our souls. We would rather die than say that we need to ask forgiveness. And that's exactly what God says. That's right. You have to die to yourself and live in Christ. And I believe Jacob is getting a taste of that. He's asking for forgiveness by bowing himself to the ground. Are you a person, am I a person, who's willing to ask for forgiveness and a person who's willing to grant forgiveness at the same time? Do we have that humility in Christ? I believe that that's beginning to be born in Jacob's life. So here's Jacob beginning to change, and we see a spiritual bravery. We see a spiritual humility, but we see one other thing. We see Jacob begin to be a person, what I call a person of worship, and a person, a person of witness. Look at verses 5 and verse 11. Uh, Esau asked him this question, you know, who are these with you? And Jacob's answer is this, the children whom God has graciously given me. And then you look down at verse 11, and, and Jacob and Esau have been going back and forth about this gift, and, and Esau saying, look, I don't need it. Jacob's saying, please take it. And Esau saying, no, you keep it. Jacob's saying, no, please take it. And then look at Jacob's final argument with Esau. Look at how he finally convinces him. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt with me graciously, and I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Esau asked two questions in this conversation. They, they come together at this reunion, and they cry, and they hug, and then Esau goes, who are all these kids? <laughs> Where did all these kids come from? And uh, a few minutes later, he says, and, and by the way, Jacob, what, what, what was with this gift? All these, you know, the goats and the camels and the cattle, all that stuff that you're giving me, where did all that stuff come from? Uh, Esau, you know, you get at a reunion, you want to catch up. You know, you want to find out what's going on in the other person's life. You want, to, you want to hear the news. They've been separated for 20 years. And so he asked these two questions. Who are the kids and, and what are all these possessions that you have? The old Jacob would have said, let me tell you how I really stuck it to my uncle Laban. <laughs> let me tell you how I outfoxed him. You know, I, I started out in a bad way. He, he, he schnookered me out of seven years of my life. But let me tell you how I ruined his herds and how I got all my wealth. And where do you think all these kids came from, brother? I mean, look at me. I'm a, I'm a manly man. These are my offspring. I've produced all these children. I mean, you, you, this is an opportunity to boast. This is an opportunity to brag. And the old Laban, or the, excuse me, the old Jacob would have said, I got him by my wits. I got this all by my ability. But look at what the new Jacob says. My family, my possessions are what? They're blessings from God. They're God's graciousness. He doesn't take credit, but he praises God for his provision. And friends, that's what worship is. I mean, if you want to kind of boil worship down to its most simple phrase, worship is simply, simply uh, crediting God with his greatness. It's crediting God that he gets the glory. It's crediting God for our salvation. It's crediting God for his lordship. Worship is giving to God 
It's not about what I get. It's about what I give to God. And I got to tell you this morning, the, the Western church, the, the church in the United States in particular, really struggles with this concept of worship. How often do we say to ourselves, you know what, I, I want to go to bed on Saturday night early because I, I'm getting up to go to worship tomorrow, and I, I want to give my best when I go to worship. You know, I know when I've, I've got a big presentation to make, and I've got to work, get, get something ready for work, boy, I make sure that, that I'm ready to go for that. Or the kids have a big test. Boy, I make sure we, we get them to study the night before because when they show up, we want them to be prepared. We want them to be able to do their best. How often do I say, boy, I want to bring my best to worship? More often than not, it's the, the conversation about worship doesn't take before take place before the service. It takes, takes place afterwards. Now, what would you think of the sermon? I liked the music this morning. No, I didn't really care for the music this morning. Boy, the announcement seemed kind of long. I don't know. If, and it's all about us. And friends, that's not just Green Tree. That's the, that's the church in general in the Western culture because we've been trained to consume. And consuming and worship are polar opposites of one another. You can't, you can't have a, they can't coexist. And Jacob is learning to have a worshiping heart. He's, he's learning to give the credit to God. And that's what worship is all about. And, and if you think I'm picking on you and I always come to worship in the right frame of mind, let me tell you about last Sunday when Jeremy was preaching. I got up Sunday morning, I got, woke up Sunday, and I said, you know, you and I are going to ride together this morning. Yeah, we don't get to do that very often. We're going to go to church together. I said, okay, great. I'll go to Starbucks. I'll get, all, I'll get us all organized. We've got to be on time. We've got to be ready to go. We're going to go to the 9 o'clock service. I want to be there by 10 till. And the next words out of my mouth weren't because I want to give my best to God. I want to praise Him. I want to worship Him with all my heart. The next words out of my mouth were because it would look bad if the pastor was late when he wasn't preaching. It's all about me. Not about God. It's all about me. And I came and I sat about halfway back there over on, on my left, your right. And uh, I looked good. I was there on time. And I talked to people. I looked like the friendly pastor. And I wasn't thinking about worship. Not one bit. Friends, I'm not picking on you. I'm saying for all of us, the challenge is to have a worshiping heart. But if you get the grace of God... That is born more and more in your life. And so Jacob doesn't need to take credit. He doesn't need to look good. He says, brother, let me tell you something. The kids, the wives, the family, all the wealth, all the possession, it's because God has been gracious to me, which leads me to the next part. It's not just about, about worship, about giving God credit, but notice that Jacob is a witness. He's sharing God's grace with his brother. He's, he's witnessing to his brother Esau. Now, that might not be a huge stretch. Esau was also the son of Isaac. He grew up hearing about his, his father, his grandfather Abraham. He, he grew up hearing about the things of God. But it's, it's important for Jacob to witness because that changes Jacob's heart. It reminds Jacob the one to whom he belongs. And every time I witness to somebody, every time I share my faith in Christ, it reminds me that I belong to him. It gives me the opportunity to, to, to be back in focus with the grace of God. And I think we need to be witnesses in our community. I think we need to share our faith with others. We uh, were talking at our session meeting with our elders Wednesday night. There was a recent study that came out in Kirkwood, just in Kirkwood, not in the surrounding area, just in Kirkwood. Over 40% of the people in Kirkwood say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They have no religious affiliation whatsoever. That's about 15,000 people within the city limits of Kirkwood that are going to never walk in the doors of North Kirkwood Middle School or the Baptist Church, or the Lutheran Church, or St. Peter's Catholic Church. They're never going to walk in a church because they have no interest. Witness is not about getting your friends to go to church. It's about living where you live with an intentionality of being able to share the glory of God with others. 
Doesn't mean you go stand on a street corner and read your Bible. It might. Maybe God calls you to do that. That's okay if he does. Praise him for that. But it might mean that just in your neighborhood, you care for the people around you. If somebody had a crisis that lived on three or four doors of either side of you, would they come to you first? Would my neighbors call me because they know that I love Jesus and the grace of God has changed my life? Are we willing to share what we know about this grace with others, to go and to tell? This is truly a new Jacob. <laughs> I mean, this he, he's not perfect. Somebody pointed out to me uh, earlier in the week that, that he's still playing favorites. He, he put the, the, the servant women first, and then the wife he didn't like quite as much next, and then the wife he liked the best, and the very still playing favorites. Okay, I understand that. Our sinful nature doesn't go away all at once. But this is a new Jacob. He is becoming... Israel, which is what God said, that's your name. Your new name is no longer, your name is no longer Jacob. It's now Israel, which means the one for whom God strives. This remarkable transformation is beginning to take place because God is now in his rightful place in Jacob's life. The apostle Paul calls Jesus' disciples, that's you and me for those of us who are here this morning who are following him, he calls us the new Israel, which is a good way to put it. Because really we, and I've said this all along in this, when we got into Jacob, I really identify with Jacob and, and the scoundrel that he is. But now I also identify with the grace of God that he's given me in Christ. And in Christ Jesus, God has striven for us. That's what the cross is all about. He has redeemed us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's creating this new heart within us that allows us to practice spiritual bravery. That gives us a genuine humility before the Lord and before others and who, who creates within us a longing and a deep desire of true worship and of a passion to go and be intentional and share the gospel with others. Do you see those things taking root in your life this morning? We go to that last screen, if you don't mind. Bravery, humility, worship, witness, question mark. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible transforming power that began to take root in Jacob's life. Father, I thank you that this story doesn't end with Jacob in just complete failure because of all the messes he created. Father, I thank you that as we move past the story of Jacob now, we begin to look at, at what happens in the lives of his children, and in particular in the coming weeks and a couple months in the life of Joseph. There's another picture of redemption that's going to need to take place because Joseph gets it so wrong at the beginning as well. Father, these, these people in Scripture are, are us. We're the ones who need your grace and your mercy. And so I thank you that you showed yourself faithful to Jacob because we can then take heart this morning that you will show yourself faithful to us. And in Christ Jesus, you will begin that transforming work that leads us to be able to step into the hard places with a sense of security, not because our circumstances have changed, but because we are confident in you and in your love and in your grace. And we can do so with humility. We can ask for and grant forgiveness because we don't have to be prideful anymore. We understand that our sin needed to, to be crucified on the cross as well, and that changes us to gracious, forgiving people, which leads us to lives of worship and witness for you. Father, please be changing our hearts by your power, by your gospel, and by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.